Welcome to Rooster Radio. I'm Andrew Montessi with James Begley. In this episode, we enjoyed a professional recording setting for the first time, taking over a studio at ABC Adelaide for an interview with presenter Ali Clark. Unfortunately, Ali didn't hit the red button and put us live to air, but we did record an interesting and insightful chat with one of South Australia's top media personalities. Now occupying the premium breakfast slot on ABC Radio, Ali in fact first made a name for herself on commercial radio. By her own admission, she came from nowhere to jag a spot on the breakfast team at Mix 102.3 with zero experience. And following a steep learning curve, that show became number one in South Australia. Ali and her team then controversially quit Mix and crossed the road to join Triple M. The success continued. But the world of commercial radio is cutthroat, and Ali talks about the day she was eventually given her marching orders. Ali talks about her story, dealing with criticism, and the well-being challenges of breakfast radio, the keys to creating compelling content, lessons from growing up with a brother who has an intellectual disability, and much more. Enjoy our chat with Ali Clark. Ali Clark, welcome to Rooster Radio. Thank you, gents. Lovely to be here. When the alarm clock goes off at some ungodly hour in the morning, what is the motivation that gets you out of bed? Well, the first thought is, ugh. Second thought is, ugh. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, a lot's made out of the breakfast hours, and yeah, they're different and they're tough at times. And I'd be lying if I said that I spring out of bed with, you know, with, with spring in my step every sort of day. But the motivation is that you just want to do a good job, and it's kind of cool getting up and getting to the news before a lot of other people and having the chance to plan and try to give them the best start to the day. So. The motivation is yes, it's a job, but I enjoy it now. I've been I did it for ten years on commercial breakfast radio, and now I've only just started again um, doing it on the ABC. And yeah, I, I really I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. But I mean, when does the day start for you? Do you, do mm-hmm. you check the news? Do you check Twitter straight away, or do you yeah. go? I'm going to just open my my day up at the moment that I walk into the office. No, it's a, it's a horrendous thing that we have these smartphones that sit beside our beds and in our back pockets. You know, we we have the ability now to just be so connected. And I know it's a conversation I have with my husband all the time that we're both doing it a lot more than we should, and having to draw really specific lines about well, what is family time, and because it just seeps in, especially when you're a news hound, especially when you're doing a program that you want to be able to need to be across so many things so for the day the alarm goes off and I'll normally make it to the bathroom before I have my phone um, and have a look about what's happened overnight um, and then it's pretty much constant um, I shut down or the show finishes at nine o'clock we'll go into meetings and carry on through do promos have a look at the next shows what else is coming up I might go out and do school visits or whatever um, and then I'll be home around about lunchtime but then I'm checking back in on the news consistently and then at night time I'll sit down for another couple of hours and find out what's going on because it just moves so quickly and especially at the moment and whether or not this will change I don't know but there are so many different sources of news you have to sift through a lot of noise Mm. to get to where you need to be and the actual information that needs to be had. So So what's the preparation process in terms of pulling together a show, are you doing all the preparation just before you go to air or is it kind of done on the afternoon before? Yeah, it's, um, Monty, it's been a really different um, beast AM breakfast radio. It's so much more flowing and news and you're thinking on your feet because it's unfolding in front of your eyes. So 
you can prepare, and I'll pre- and I love preparing. That's what I love doing. When I was doing the morning shift between nine and eleven, I'd be in at five thirty anyway, six o'clock anyway, and sitting down to make sure I had all the information I needed. But you don't get as much chance because you know, you, a you might not know if you get the guest or you've got the guest. There have been times I've been speaking at seven thirty six, having no idea what's going to happen at seven thirty seven, and knowing I've got to keep talking until quarter to eight in the morning. So there's that panic behind the scenes. But that's really different to when I was doing commercial breakfast radio, which is so tightly controlled and, you know, I would have bosses that say, okay, well, what story are you going to do and how's that story? So you'd tell them the story and, you know, it just kind of becomes so controlled and contrived by the end of it. So different way of looking at it. Coming back to that FM stuff, Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated um, about people's ability to get up, you know, that they're on air, their 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 personalities are up, mm. and we all know that most days you just don't feel like that. Yeah. Is that is that different from, I guess, the energy that you have to bring to AM? Um, FM, it's well, I mean, you can't even. If you're in a three member team, I've found is the easiest team to work in because one of you can always have an off day, and the others will carry you just naturally, and it won't be an agreed upon thing, it won't be a recognised thing. But if you're just sort of sitting back, it, it can be covered. Um, two, when you go to two, well, then you're having that automatic conversation with someone. You can still drive. I'm finding doing a single person show the most challenging. Yeah. In fact, the most challenging time I have is from five minutes to six when I actually start talking by myself <laughs> and five minutes to six and you're thinking who else is awake um what do you want to talk about um uh, you know you're not really getting many people calling to chat so uh, it, yeah it's it's i found it a really different craft i guess the best way i've thought about it is that people assume i think that you'll be good at maybe am radio because you've done fm radio but it's like saying to a basketballer you're going to be a great netballer just because the ball's round Different kind of fields, different kind of rules, and yeah, I'm I'm still got so much to learn in this one. Do you look at it like a performance, and do you have a kind of a process, a warm up, a way of getting yourself up for that performance? Um, we, it's I work with two producers. Big shout out, Liza and Luke. You're a legend, um, both of you. Um, uh, we've actually been speaking about it, and when we're relaxed and joking in the morning, they're the best shows normally. Um, sometimes it doesn't work like that, especially Mondays um, coming off the weekend, or if there's something that we're all really not sure how it will slot in and fit, or who the voice is going to be that we're going to go, or the talent we're going to go to, and that's normally a little bit tough, but I sort of, um, yeah, I just, I like getting in for five minutes before I open the mic and just getting everything sorted in front of me. And I always crank any music that we play, no matter what it is, up very, very loudly. I'm learning a lot of new music now that I'm on the ABC uh, and um, yeah, go from there. What about the moments that have kind of happened as you've been on air? You know, key moments, and I can't think of any myself that might have happened in the period of time, Mm -hmm. but what have been the moments that have stood out where you've just had to roll with it, um, there's something in the news, and and you've had to keep the show rolling? Um, for me, probably the big electricity um, out back in September after the big storms, that was a big eye-opener to how people view the ABC. Um, you know, people over on the West Coast were without power for two, three days, four days, some of them, and they were all coming to the ABC for information. So that, 
was that unfolding story that's unfolding in front of you. Normally at that stage I was handing over the show to Richard Feidler, you know, with conversations. He's incredible. incredible. Yeah, we're going to speak. I'm a fanboy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, in fact, when I got the job, mum didn't, at the ABC, mum didn't say, oh, well done, Ali. Does that mean you get to read Richard Feidler? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but that was, you know, so we, we didn't go to his show and we just kept the news because we knew that people needed to be updated on what is going on because so many people literally were in the dark so and how is that show brought together then when when there's no real scripts mm-hmm. what's the producer saying to you and how are you conducting the performance well you know that i mean it's so boring but you know that saying where you've got the duck on the water and the top to the duck looks so serene and then the legs are paddling furiously they're the producers so they're running around and putting up on a screen we have different ways to communicate between each other in a studio we have a screen where they can write to me which i find really useful because i could be talking to you and then next information's coming through and I'm trying to process that and get ready for whatever's coming next. Um, they can speak to me in my ear, which is pretty much live TV and, you know, while you're talking, that can be hard to deal with. And then they can speak to me on intercom during breaks. So it's having those lines of communication open because you don't even have time to walk into another room to where the producers are once the radio's going. So, yeah, it's that moving feast and the biggest thing you need is trust and you just have to go with what they're saying because you don't necessarily get to make the calls in that situation. So that's why great producers, I think, are the real success to shows. It's not necessarily us. Um, when you look at your performance and your skill set, you know, broadcasting from when you started to now, can you see any changes or notice any difference? Well, I try to, to not drop my INGs. Now I'm on the ABC and I'm very, <laughs> very... <laughs> um, it's a bit of a different one, James, in that I never grew up wanting to be on radio and it was quite accidental how I got here. So I feel like a massive imposter. Um, every day I think people's gonna, someone's going to finally work me out. Um, but I started by accident just working, you know, organising the cars to send out the icy cold cans of Coke and... Alpha's hot pies, um, and, and ended up on air and still didn't want to do that necessarily. Um, so I would have been, I was an absolute nightmare to work with because here I was without doing any night, mid-dawn shifts out at Albury, Wodonga, doing breakfast radio in Adelaide and having no idea what I was doing. So I think the idea of crafting a story, you know, because essentially to communicate, you need to get everybody along for that drive so i've understood that i don't necessarily do it well all the time um especially when i'm tired but the the whole idea of crafting a story and also other radio craft things that are really important to people in breakfast which i know we all think's boring but you know telling them the time sounds ridiculous i know right because we've got the phones we've got them on the computers and And we're getting ready for work that's right yeah so if you're you've got to be out of the house at at seven o'clock you've got 27 minutes to do so you know whatever it might be um so that sort of crafting one I find really awkward is telling people who you are. I, you know, speaking of the third person is just horrendous. But when it comes down to it, not so much on the ABC, but, you know, we're here to make sure that we rate, to make sure our radio station can stay on air and that we can continue to give you the service. So we need people to know who we are and who they're listening to. So when they fill out these wonderful survey books, they actually tick the box with the ABC's name in it or whoever it might be. From Andrew's days at Channel 9, he, yes. he refers to himself more now in third person than he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Coming back to your story in terms of your pathway to getting on air, like yeah. how did that actually 
happen when you didn't ha- actually have the ambition at the time to do it. To do yeah. it. Uh, so my first job in radio was looking after events and the promotions. Um, you know, I sat out handing out stickers with the wonderful Sheridan Stewart for an entire summer in Rondon Mall every single day. You know, that's what I was doing. And I really enjoyed it. But um, at the station I was at at that stage, which was Triple M, they have some really, really good people above me who weren't going anywhere. So I took a job as a promotions manager at Mix 102.3 at the time. At the time, they were bottom. <clears throat> and not rating overly well. Um, and I was there for about, I don't know, maybe three, four, six months, and I wrote what my husband calls a Jerry Maguire email. You know how he writes oh, yeah. that memo and sends it yeah. out to everybody in the office saying that, you know, we can dream to be different, mm. and then he gets fired. And um, I guess the difference was mine was that the um, the general manager, Steve Rowe, a cracking bloke who's now working in radio in New Zealand, but he didn't fire me, and he actually called me in and said, well, talk me through some of these ideas and some of the things that we're doing differently to the opposition, which was at that stage Southern Cross Osterio, SAFM, Triple M just taking all before them, you know the ladder leaders, one and two, you know, or two or one, depending which survey it was um, and so we worked through as a working group. Then what happened was that there was a the realisation that a new breakfast team might help drive a new brand. Um, Chris Zeldi I'd worked with over at Triple M and he was quirky and different and weird and Mix's brand was so vanilla at that stage so we thought he would be great. We had absolutely no promotional budget, no money, um um, and Kim Dillon was another name that had a profile that we thought we could leverage off, plus he was a really good storyteller. Um, so he was involved in the mix. And then we had a couple of other names. Um, one lady was signed up, fell over. Another lady was signed up. Her employer found out, offered her the plum gig, and we were two weeks till launch date. And basically the program director said, oh, look, you know, I've seen how you've spoken to the guys. Have you ever thought about being on radio? And I went, not really. Um, he said, well, you've got a weekend to think about it. And that was it. That was it. Hence why I'm a massive imposter and it's all going to come crashing <laughs> down what, every moment. And what, and what year was that? Oh, must have been maybe 2013, 13, 14-ish. I don't know. Yeah, I did five years at Mix um, and then five years at Triple M. Mm. So how did you, for someone without that wealth of experience... Uh, were you leaning on anyone in particular to to mentor you? Like, how were you fast-tracking your skills? Mate, I, I wasn't. I was hanging on for grim death. Mm. Um, and, and I mean I mean it very seriously. I would have been a nightmare to work with. Um, I was, like, nervous, tense, um, scared, uh, and everything that comes with it. You know, I'm quite a – I like to, as you said, I said before, I like to have all my ducks in a row and take control of a situation. You don't do that in radio. So that was completely foreign. Um, yeah, so there, so there was no idea of – and there was no teaching any either. There was no – I think you have to be very, very lucky and you have to have your wits about you to go and find a mentor. It just doesn't happen. You know, and I think that's the same across any business. If you get a really good manager, a really good people manager in front of you or ahead of you, then you're going to go okay, and they'll help you with these things. That doesn't necessarily happen. Because I, I always thought that people would be hauled in straight after a, a show, and then the basically the show's dissected and all the performances are reviewed. And oh, there's that. oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. Okay, so you're getting that sort of feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I do now. So they have air checks. You know, it's horrendous. I sit there with a jumper over my head because I can't stand my own voice. Um, uh, Even now I'm going red thinking about it. Yeah, so there's that. And and in commercial, for example, they they would fly people in, consultants in, would come in and they'd listen to your show from a remote location and they'd come in and go, well, what you need to do is this, this and change this. I just want to tell them to piss off. 
Oh, that may have come up a few times from quite a few people in the team, James. Um, I, I really like sucking it all in. It doesn't mean that it's not an ego dent when someone says, oh, that was pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always found, and you know, you might have found too with footy and, and, and certainly in your craft, Monty, when you were doing the I TV. I look back at it. Any of my stories. Yeah, it. yeah right? Mm. Horrendous. And also, you know when you haven't got it. You know when you've missed a question. Mm. You know when you haven't delivered. So, yeah, it's hard to have that told to you in front of the group. <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing, though, with your story as well, that you were backed in with your Jerry Maguire memo oh, man. and then backed in to get the gig. Oh, mate, ridiculous. And that's why I say Steve Rowe, um, the the general manager that did back me in, I mean, we still laugh about it now. Like, I mean, can you honestly imagine that happening in most places these days where everything has to be cross-checked and, you, you know, you have to fit a certain demographic and this person will appeal to, mm. I don't know, partly I think they were just desperate because we were so close to the launch date and that's what it was. So Now, what makes great on-air talent in your experience? The ability to tell a story. Uh, the ability to listen um, and not come in with these prep notes. I think one of the things when people listen to, say, politicians, there's a turn-off these days because they just hear the party line or they hear politicians having a crack at other politicians. And I I just think that there is a tolerance level that we've gone way beyond and and we're all over it. So if for a talent to come in and, and be emotive, get to the point and to listen and react to whatever questions are happening. I think that makes great, great radio, mm. all the best radio that you can. Who are some of the, the best people at that that you've crossed paths with? Oh, some of the great performers. Um, I had Ray Martin on this morning. I mean, his wealth of knowledge is just unbelievable. Um, comedians, uh, there's Ross Noble would probably be one, just because he, you know, you talk about that ad lib, you know, he comes in, here, you have the show, you're better at this than me, you just go, and he will, you know, he's just that wonderful rolling um, anecdotal bloke that just takes you in directions and surprises you. That's actually probably the big thing, surprise, mm-hmm. I think is really important. Um, he's been really good. Honestly, though, when people ask me, oh, best celebrity you've interviewed, I don't remember that. I remember listeners calling up. I remember someone taking the time to call. And I know it might sound trite and I'm just trying to pander, but, you know, a a bloke ringing up and telling me, you know, some trouble that he'd gone through with his daughter. Or there was a lady a couple of months ago that rang up and told me how that she was still addicted to painkillers. That's the stuff that I remember at the end of the day and that I think makes memorable radio because they're just being authentic and true. And I think authentic gets written off because, you know, Australian Idol and all that is bastardised authentic and journey beyond all. Um, yeah, I think they're the people I remember. Richard Fidler again, don't worry. We're still, we're still going to get to okay. it. I'm going okay. to allow 15 minutes. <laughs> just, but, That's a hook and tease right there. How... Um, I guess, how's your own journey? How have you drawn on your own experiences? I mean, you know, you, you're on record and you've talked about your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you kind of drawn together those early experiences, I guess, to shape your ability to to perform now? Um, yeah, well, for those that don't know, my brother has an intellectual disability and it's just the two of us. He's seven years younger than I. Um, as a result of that or as part of that, I actually was sent off to boarding school even though I lived in Brisbane, I went to a Brisbane boarding school, which the kids just had so much fun with. Yeah, your uh, parents must really love you. Yeah. But, but is that because of the home, the family, it was so full on at home? Well, you'd think so, right? And this is mm. what I thought until only a few years ago. And Dad was on the 
bit of a cask wine drinker, mum and dad, see? Um, and I said, oh, you know, I really appreciate that, you know, you sent me off to boarding school because I was into swimming and music and all that stuff and it was hard with Nick at home. And he said, nah, it wasn't that. No, nah, no, nah, mum just wanted you to have the same experience that she had going to school and she was sent to boarding school. I said, hang on. I said, mum hated boarding school so much so that she ran away repeatedly. He said, yeah, you better take that up with her. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the start. Um, look, how that runs into performance, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because I don't think of what I do as performing as such. It's not like, I guess, you get G'd up to go out on a footy field, begs and, right, I've done the training, here I go, here's my two and a half hours mm. that I've got to perform and get these stats and kick this and, and score these uh, points and goals. I just... I don't know. I guess Maybe it's just be me. Is you don't you're not performing. You're being you. But you mm, have the unique know. sense of empathy, which I think is critical for what mm. you do. Mm. Oh yeah, I, I came uh, not to to verbal blows with another announcer who I was on with. Um, we were talking about language, and this I don't remember if you knew a t-shirt company that came out that had um, the word retard on it. I don't, and anyway, so that was a runnable company, and we were talking about that, and this announcer was just going, "Oh, it's just language, you know, da 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 da. It's freedom of speech and toughen up and all this sort of stuff." And this man rang up, and he said, "Listen, that word got." is so powerful to me because it got me into so much trouble because my brother was um, had a disability and the kids would pick on him and call him that name and I would try to belt the living suitcases out of them and it was just so emotional and he was brought to tears by that and this announcer's just gone, oh, well, you know, it's, it's still just a word, you know. Uh, my response to that was, well, if that is all you took out of that, then there's something wrong. Mm. So, I don't know, empathy, yeah, I guess I, I, I appreciate people taking the time to tell me their stories that's what i love so you, i mean you mentioned that you you sort of fell into radio but mm. as a as a student were you ambitious no 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 even though you had all these passions no no not at all i still don't know what i wanted to do when i grow up <laughs> no no idea no i was determined i was going to go and um travel and mum said no you're going to uni and i thought oh okay so i did a bachelor of arts um a three-year degree that i did in four years because um, my grandparents had a shack at the Sunshine Coast and I refused to take well, lectures on a Friday and a Monday and I got to the end of my degree and was two credit points short. So I did another year. <laughs> well, getting degrees done in a lengthy period is kind of common in your in your yes. household, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think my husband took, what, 10 years to get a vet degree? Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, we were... Um, uh, but, yeah, I did a Bachelor of Arts and then I actually went on and did honours in sports science, but still not really... I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't, I'm not that driven for whatever reason in that area. Do you have a little um, building and construction qualification as well? Yeah, yeah. When I got fired from Triple M, I got the big bone. Um, I, didn't know what I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so um, we'd renovated, my husband and I had renovated a few times and I enjoyed that. So I went and did a year of, yeah, my, got my certificate for and building and construction. They're doing renos here at the ABC and I thought maybe yeah. you were kind of <laughs> yeah. juggling the two Well, I do roles. go through and look at the joists and the... Uh, uh, beams and check out the, uh, the the panels they're putting up. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> so, but I mean, is that, that's a good example. If you don't set a focus and you just discard other things, you're much more open to what's in front of you and, and yeah. the next step. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I've always been a little bit jealous of people who have grown up and just known what they want to be and what they want to do. I've kind of been envious of that. Now, whether or not that will continue to happen, because I think, you know, gone are the days where you grow up and you're a boilermaker and you're going to stay a boilermaker until you die. I think now, and you can see the stats on it, you know, people have so many different 
careers now and interests now. Um, but I I've always been envious of those people. I think it's kind of kind of great to meet mm. those wonderful driven people that have always known this is where they want to be and then they end up there mm. and then even better, they enjoy it, you know. That's pretty cool. To come back to your commercial radio career, living by the sword, dying by the oh, sword. Oh, yeah, cracker, right? So you go from not knowing what you're doing, yep. all of a sudden you guys are dominating. Um What's your thinking at that point? Are you thinking, geez, this is actually pretty easy? Or are you aware at the time of the reality that um, that things change pretty quickly in radio? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like football, football clubs and media organisations. You know, the moment you either A, have the full support of the board, or B, someone comes in and slaps you on the back and says, geez, you're doing a good job, start looking around because there's something else coming. I think that's just, unfortunately, the nature of the business. Um yeah, it was inter- when they when I uh, got fired from Triple M, that one was a little bit out of left field because I still had another year in my contract and we were going, okay, and more specifically, no one had said that we weren't doing well. That was the thing that, mm. you know, and we were continually asking, going, is this what you want? Are you happy with this type of show? And we didn't get, no, we're not, let's go in this direction or no, if you don't get X amount, then you know, the heads are on the block. Um, uh, it's just the nature of the beast, mm. I think. Um, Grant Cameron, uh, I don't know if you know of him. He used to host The Weather, great surfy bloke. He, he's on um, SA Life now on Channel 7, and he was on the ABC for a number of years. He said to me, um, he said, to me, he said, listen, commercial radio works like this, right? If you're not very good, people will switch off. They won't listen to you. Your ratings will go down, and you'll get fired. So now that you're on the ABC, what happens if people don't like you? They'll tune in every day just to tell you how much they don't like you, which I've always appreciated uh, from someone like Grant. <laughs> how do you, I mean, and the just coming back to the, the mm. getting sorry, getting I'm, t- I'm not a great I'm not a great subject. No, 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 no I'm good. going no, all around. It's, it's perfect because you're jumping around like what we do. This <laughs> is much how we jump around. It's fine. What, the mechanics of, of being told. Yeah. Um, and, oh, right. So you want to know? Well, and, and also then the flow and like what sort of personal toll, like how long did it take you to, kind of to recover mm. after? Uh, well, you don't ever get on the internet and read anything in chat rooms. That's pretty much the number one rule <laughs> once you've been fired from any sort of job um, that has any type of public um, profile. Um, so the mechanics of it, we'd finished. I was on holidays officially. It was a Friday. I was travelling back. We'd just done a Salvation Army drive, charity drive, right down the southern suburbs. And I was coming back and I'd pulled over to this petrol station and an email had come through requesting me to have a meeting with the big boss and then the general manager. And I thought... I just knew it then. Mm. I knew it then. I was getting fired. Absolutely knew it. And I rang um, my co-host at the time and said, mate, this is what's happening. He's going, what? And I said, yeah, you haven't been called back in? He said, no. I said, oh, well, I have. Um, And so I then rung my husband. I've rung a couple of other people that I really rely on their opinions and said, okay, this is coming. What do I do? And I got some advice, legal, a few other things. Then um, no one knew it at the time, but I was pregnant. And I had to go to the staff Christmas party knowing that I was about to get fired. I couldn't even drink to, to save myself, which has might have been a very good thing in the end. Um, and so much so that I knew what was happening and I was just so resentful that they were trying to pull the wool over my eyes. I went up to the, the manager at the time and said, what's this meeting about? And it was, it's about your future options. That's what, oh, the, the, that was the line that wheeled out. So then I rock in there on Monday and I go in there. And, oh, so you had to wait all weekend? Yeah, yeah, all weekend. Oh, hideous. Yeah, horrendous, right? Horrendous. Um, and then, yeah, got to the, yeah, it wasn't a great meeting. And, and it was, I mean, even though you know it's coming, and I cry, oh, 
I so didn't want to cry, but I did right at the end. I really wish that I'd had that defining moment. And I did send out a couple of lines that I quite liked because I'd rehearsed them, but then I just cried at the end, you know. But we got through it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Did you prepare a little script? I was thinking, oh, I had a few lines. given a weekend to yeah. prepare yeah. for it. You probably think you, you could have taken it anyway. We just walk in with a goldfish day. I mean, this is a continuation of the Jerry Maguire theme. Yeah. Who's coming with me? Well, it certainly wasn't, show me the money, because yeah. <laughs> they were showing me the door. Yeah. Um, you know, they had their reasons, they did what they did, um, and then you just pick up and move on and you work out where to next. And for me, where to next was let's take a breather. Um, uh, yeah, and and what to happen. Uh, you know, sometimes when you have that surprise leaving of an organisation, um, you know, there might be the temptation to take them on legally. That temptation was absolutely there and it was discussed at length between myself and, and my husband and a few others. But again, um, I was pregnant at the time and, and weighing up that stress and the toll that that would have taken. Uh, now, unfortunately, we lost that baby. I would have really, I do sometimes think about what it would have been like if I wasn't. And, but that's just the personal choice that I made. So, you know, it is what it is and I'm really happy where I am now. So it's worked out. You experienced kind of all aspects of commercial radio life, even with the transition from mix to triple M. Can you kind of mm. think I was at um, at nine at the time? Mm. It was, it was mm. a pretty interesting period. Can you kind of give us a bit of insight as to how that was executed? Because it's quite unusual. Yeah. Um, so part of that was... For a variety of reasons, we really all loved um, being at Mix, but there had been some changes that we were interested in and questioned and that questioning wasn't the answers we just didn't get. Um, and the way that management started to talk to us was just a different time, which on top of that, um, Kim Dillon, who was part of the team, was an incredible footballer caller and really wanted to get back to that. And it was just a conversation between him and somebody at Triple M, really, that sort of started the ball rolling. Um, when it happened on the morning, um, I think Kim made the first phone call to the manager and said, oh, look, just so you know, we've been thinking, or I've been thinking about this, I'm not going to come back. And, da, 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 and all right, well, I'll come in and have a chat to you. And, and then Chris picked up the phone, rang the same person, and <laughs> this is what. And then I've picked up the phone, and um, we we were, yeah we were pretty much marched out of the building, or maybe we finished. No, that was after the show, I think. And we were that was it. Within hours, they were back, and they'd chucked all our stuff in boxes, and which is fair enough, you know, fair enough. Do what you got to do, and yeah, we headed across the road, which I guess was never done. Well, although Kyle and Jackie O did it, and that was super successful when they've done it in Sydney. So um, yeah, so I, I guess that was the the motivation behind it. Mm. Certainly, most people would listen to this and think that they're fairly big um, things to occur. Mm. Um, did sort of watching Matthew's career and, and understanding footy and the cutthroat nature of, of elite performance, did did you did that prepare you a little bit more, do you think, for mm. for what was gonna come? Uh Okay, how do I say this? Um, I have the belief that certain companies, maybe all companies have it if, depending on the manager, but I've found in my experience with watching a lot of football and seeing inside clubs and a lot of media companies and seeing inside them is that there's a lot of trading on, you're so lucky to be here. You're just so lucky to be here. Come on, this is the hour. Do the hours. No, we can't pay you this much, but geez, you're lucky to be here. You've got this opportunity and da da da. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But, you know, we'll make it up to you because you're part of this wonderful family. Until all of a sudden you're a number 
and you get that wake-up call. Now, that might not be you being fired, but it might be the way someone else in your team's treated, or it might be, uh, you know, another resource that's taken away. I think every, until you have that wake-up call, you drink the Kool-Aid, you're into it, and it's great. It's so much fun. They're good places to work, and they're really – there's some incredible people. But, yeah, there, there, there comes a time, and as, you know, Begs, mm. you'd know in footy, you know, it happens every, at the end of every year. So. There was a lineup. To, uh, we haven't talked about Monty in the crow suit for a little while, so I just thought <laughs> I'd bring that up. There was a lineup of young apprentices wanting to I be I can in imagine. The, and Monty held on and just yeah. you know, kept that crow suit close yeah. to him. Yeah. Thanks, James. Yeah. It's been a few episodes. Since that up. <laughs> yeah. I might bring up the Cleo Bachelor of the Year. Runner well, that's up. cutthroat, James Again. Begley. I yeah. mean, you know, talk us through that. I reckon well, I no, spoke to you. Yeah. some rules yeah. about you can't, you can't well. turn, you can't turn the interview back on the interview oh no 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 did you not hear the bit about what makes good talent and someone who's interacting if you google james begley cleo uh, listeners and um, there'll be an interesting photo of linen pants i think i might have spoken to you i think the morning that you've won and i I don't think you would remember speaking to us live on air at all from memory of that how that went down yeah yeah, i think the you guys threw in something about mark rusciuto wasn't uh, wasn't playing, and I just ran with it and said, "Yeah, he's been injured." And, and then <laughs> you both right, you and you both that. turned around and said, "We're actually just bullshitting." You. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> anyway, um, I, I am gonna I am gonna flick to the craft of the interview and 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 talk mm. about Richard Feidler. And, oh yeah, here we go. Here's uh, your what, baby. Why Why is it that that I might just have a little bit? He is good at what he does. Ah, his ability to tell the story is just incredible. Again, uh, you know, he's got great producers as well. Like, there's a really does he? Yeah, yeah. There's a great team in there in a month, but but you cannot take away from that man. Um, he knows the beginning, the middle, and the end, and he knows how to take you on and just reveal little bits as you go. If you ever listen to him and he's speaking to someone um, about one of their books, it's just a little bit. He'll release a bit here. You know, it's not, oh, you were born, you went through some tragedy, and then you died. It's yeah. like, you know, and then this happened, and then this happened, you know. So he's read the book. He understands their story. So he's done a lot of work around there. Um, I spoke to him. I, I interviewed him, and we were in the green room. Um, for Writers Week, and I said, mate, have you ever had a situation where you, you're in an interview and you're just going, this is not working? And he said, oh, yeah, all the time, all the time. And I said, well, how do you deal with that? And he said, well, you keep talking, you keep talking because if it's pre-recorded until you know you'll get an hour out of it or you just have to cut and run and find another way or another bit to fill up your show with or another interview. So even the masters begs mm, even the masters have, have their days. off days so yeah. coming to your experience have there been days where you think this is not tracking that well and then something just opens up and oh, and, it, yeah. and and then it takes its shape um like within the interview yeah. oh yeah 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 um gosh i wish i'd uh, you know when you're speaking to somebody and you get them on to speak about i don't know the meaning of Russian bugs in historical context, whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden you find out that this person was adopted and has Nigerian influences. That you know, that's amazing. That surprise again, that surprise element. Mm. You know, and you can't, you can't prepare for that. That might be another skill for somebody is letting go as well in an interview situation. Um, I, I, I cocked it up with Ray Martin this morning. All right, like so badly. And breakfast interviewing is so unforgiving, and I was found out so badly today. Talking to him about a show, right, that he's promoting for SBS, it's about reconciling people. And we're talking about it, talking about it, it's about this eye contact thing, social experiment. thought it was all a bit weird, you know, because social experiments marrying people that you don't really know these days, right? That's kind yeah. of how it rolls on TV. 
Um, and he's gone, da-da-da-da-da, no, it's about people who have been really estranged. For example, I've heard two sisters that don't really talk about it, uh, talk to each other, and I don't even know why. I'm not even sure. And then he's just rolled on with this... And I didn't what stop. A moment. What I know, a I know, and I'm kicking myself. We don't know anything about Ray. I know, and I'm kicking myself. And maybe partly that's why I didn't, because there are some people that yeah, you interview mm, and you go, "Well, you would, man. you I would give that. me that more. You know how to give me more yeah, of that information yeah. without me." But but Mariana anyway. Abramovich actually was the first person who did that, uh, where you stare at each other. Yeah, it was an yeah, exhibition. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, anyway, how do you? Thank you. Yes, culture, culture yeah. <laughs> When you say you know you're stuffed up. Yeah. How do you kind of process or recover from that mm. and not let it impact you in future interviews? Oh, I'm terrible at it. I'm really bad. If I, I need to improve that. Um, something else, like, you know, the text line, um, we have that open in front of us and it's hard not to personally take some of the texts that come through because you see them good, bad or indifferent. I need to get a lot tougher with that. Um, but, yeah, it's... You do have to, Matt Abraham, who used to do The Breakfast Show, he, he said, you know, asking the tough questions, you just have to ask them because they're the right questions. Even if in the face of opposition on the other end of the line, in front of you, even if you know you've messed something up five minutes ago, you just got to brush yourself off and go again, you know. Um, it, I guess it's a confidence game, which... I'm not that, yeah, I don't, that's why I think I'll be found out <laughs> any moment. I don't how, really have that. How do you think Richard would feel with the fact that um, we've done a couple of Rooster Radio episodes where James has started without actually knowing the names of the people that we were interviewing? <laughs> I might have seen some of those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, look, that, you know. Okay, we're even now. We're even now. <laughs> but to, further from radio, you've done TV, you're a columnist as well. How do you switch modes in the media mix what do you enjoy or not like about well, different aspects i've actually got dressed up because you boys were coming in but normally so i'm right. in tracksuit pants and um ugg boots so tv was not for me monty <laughs> it was never going to be for me um and i'm not downplaying that that's all tv is about but the, you know you do have to um look good there i i never really switch modes i guess i don't i don't um uh, I, when I was writing for the Tizer, I'd just write what I thought. Um, at the same time, I was I found myself sometimes moderating myself, which is a really big trap for people these days because the instant feedback is there, because you get pulled apart mm. on the net, because you get pulled apart on social media or whatever. Some people, I think, go back in their shells, and I used to battle that a fair bit. Because we're in a, a day and age as well where going the opposite can work for you. The, the oh, clickbait style of content. Oh, yeah. But yeah. whereas an Andrew Bolt can obviously has a, a thick skin, you you seem to feel... Oh, yeah. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. And and I'm, I'm torn between whether, well, maybe not him specifically, whether or not these people are, they just have that incredible self-belief in everything they say, so they that helps make them bulletproof mm. to anyone that, that disagrees with them. Or if they're playing this incredible Machiavellian game where they're just throwing it out there to get the reaction and to get the fame and the attention. I just don't know. Mm. I don't know. And I don't know where that sits with, with all these different people. So, like, you guys, are you going to write a clickbait title for this, aren't you? Oh, you I'm going to pull it apart. Yeah, yeah the moment yeah. that I forgot to ask Ray about his sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. James Begley, what really happened a moment after the Cleo bachelor party? <laughs> we couldn't remember talking to um, the interview. The I love it. We've kind of turned it on you. <laughs> Monty, you can pay me later. What, yeah. How important to have a sustainable career in media is it ultimately that what people experience is kind of you? 
so mm. that there isn't this character that you are having to put on, oh, whether it's in what you write or the way that you conduct it, yourself on air. Yeah, you get found out. Mm. And I think sometimes some sectors of the media don't give listeners and viewers and whoever enough credit. They, they, they treat them all and put them in this box and presume that, oh, just because you're a 30-year-old male, you don't want to know anything about what's happening with North Korea. You just want your footy. Mm. You know, and I think that... People are so much smarter than what big organisations can give them credit for. And we have now the ability to find our news and our entertainment bit from podcast, radio, radio stations from America. You know, you can mm. tune in again. You've got them in your back pocket. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know if I've answered your question. But um, the, the whole idea of the longevity, I think if you're not who you really are, you'll get found out pretty quickly. Um, we've, Monty and I have talked a little bit about, you know, you live and die by ratings. Mm. How are they collected? <laughs> the gazillion dollar question. Uh, so survey books go out. There are eight surveys in radio anyway a year. Um, and whenever your so you mean favorite... an e-book? No, 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 you no. You mean no. an email goes out? No, no, you mean no, no, no. A book it's crazy, goes, it? It, it's ridiculous, right? And it's only oh, a thousand or so. It's, it's a really small sample it's size. It's like you're talking and like, People are losing their jobs. Yeah. Millions are invested or yeah. not invested yeah. based on these things. Do you want me to get your couch to lie down? You feel like you've, I feel like you've got some pent-up frustration <sighs> here, Monty. So hang on. So keep going. So it's a book. So the book goes out. So whenever your favourite radio host goes on holiday, we're not in survey period, right? So, you know, when everyone disappears yep. and uh, for all that time, that's because no one's taking the radio, the radio audience. And basically you get given the book. And um, I think this is still, I don't think the technology has changed. And the book gets delivered. And then at the end of the week, or you're supposed to do it every day, but really, who does that? You fill out and you tick the box on who's listened in your family or whatever to what station. Because you can remember that, right? And what about if you flick? Flick away, put it in. And they ask you, you know, how long have you listened to this station? How long have you listened to this station and everything else? So when we were in commercial, we we used to joke that um, by by the survey results, this is always also a good way to reason why you didn't get fired. Um, But because of this result, you know, we'd have consultants come in. It must have been a really good drop in the eastern suburbs for the ABC. Or if, you know, said Triple M, that working class, it must have been a really good drop down north, you know, out north. uh, You know, everybody can spin these stats whichever way they want it. So I'm sorry yeah. if you work in ratings. But I would love to know good job. if anyone knows anyone who's known anyone who's ever actually filled out a book. Yeah. Do you know, have you known I, anyone? I know of someone who knew of someone. Really? Who, who had a, the TV rating box thing or whatever it was. And did you go to that person who knew someone and say, hey, tick Monty, he's yeah. the greatest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you known anyone that's actually had a book delivered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Had a book once, once or, you know. So, but again, look, they, they are saying it's absolutely statistically reliable, so we go with it and you know we, we take it okay. and, and live and die by it it's a yeah I mean, you live and die by it it's a it's a kind of a brutal career to have from the hours to the the pressure the feedback do you have a way of i guess looking after yourself from a health wellness whether it's getting yeah. enough rest whether it's just doing some mental health type of checks um, I think the first thing that I do is I think, yeah, it's all those things, but, geez, the people do it with the to- much tougher jobs than mm. I'm doing. Um, you know, when people find out you do breakfast radio, they say, oh, 
um, you know, well, geez, you mustn't get any sleep. Gee, what's it like always being tired? And what I've come to appreciate is, yeah, yeah, it's tired and it's tough, but I'm not doing anything really important on little sleep, like being a doctor or a nurse or a truck driver. You know, I'm just sitting here and, you know, if I stuff it up, the worst that will happen is that I'll look like a goose in people and maybe, you know, there might be other repercussions. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, new mums, new dads, like that's some tough work. Um, so I try to always put it in perspective. And as for a well-being thing, you know, I always dream that I'll get a nice exercise program going on and and eat my quinoa and my beetroot <laughs> but that never happens that's happening on a monday it starts on a monday <laughs> if, um we've got producer rachel here mm. who you know would like to embark on a career of some degree in the media awesome no don't what no, do you awesome. say this is one of those right? what do you say to the rachels of the world um who are ambitious um, don't take no for an answer, but if you're ambitious, you won't do that anyway. Um, I'd also say use any contact you can. I mean, you've met me now, so if I don't get an email from you in the next week, I know you're not really after it, you know? Um, we have groups come in and Roof I say this, scoop. <laughs> but I say this to people all the time. Mm. If you want, what's the worst that can happen? Someone can say no. Um, always accept that there will be mistakes and listen more than you talk i think i, I feel like I, this is I, i'm like i'm looking to wrap this up only because i've been speaking so much mm. i don't speak this much ever we do have to shape the conversation shortly but our trigger is rapid fire which we're mm. going to come to which oh, tends right, to right, finish right, right, right. We'll finish our our chat yeah, cool. um but um Coming, just extrapolating, I guess, from what Monty was talking about, the, the, the home, the home life, the mm. dynamics. Uh, you know, your husband is a coach for an AFL team. You've got kids. How do you juggle this? Um, yeah, yeah, look, I'm not. It's a challenge. We, um, uh, my folks are all in Brisbane, and Matt's folks are down in Mangambia, so we don't have that familial support here. Um, you just do. It's been really, really good. I mean. When when they announced, for example, uh, on the ABC that I was going to do the breakfast shift, people were texting and saying, well, what about our kids? Well, wh who's going to look after the kids? And, well, hang on, that's not, you know, but, uh, they would never do that if that was a man going into that position. So my response to that is that Matt and I are 50-50. He has the most amazing ability to get things done. The kids, you know, and he has a great relationship with the children because I haven't been there for so long in that very first bit where they wake up. But... I'm home by lunchtime and I have them all afternoon. So, you know, we, we kind of work well in a tag team. And the reason I, that, and I talk about the unit, how do you get it done? I mean, mm. what happens to the system, the system of the family, when something isn't quite planned for? So kids get sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a nightmare. Do? Well, it's like every family. It's always a nightmare for them. Um, normally, we um, have some in-home support. We have a nanny that um, comes in two days a week, but you just do what you do. It's really hard with Matt's job. You can't mm. tell a football club, I'm not going to be at training today, thanks, coach, because my kid's sick. So in that respect, it's normally me. But, you know, you work around it. And if I can't be on air for them, well, I mean, family still comes first. Mm. Uh, that's just the way it is. But, you know, he still gets called fun dad. He's the fun dad and I'm the disciplinarian, you know, all that. But that's that's just where we worked out that, you know, maybe our strengths lie as much as it kills me to say it. <laughs> you ready for your little rapid fire? Rapid fire. Oh, really? Okay, so oh, the, the context right. here, and we right. say this every episode, Ali, and um, Andrew Montessi has about one bullet in his um, armoury and, yep. and he gives it and then he's got nothing. So really this could be have nothing to do with what we've just chatted about. Okay. The, my first question would be, uh, did you know Doc 
Clark played football when you first met him? A, football. I was a rugby league fan and played rugby union. So I thought all this game, this weird AFL game was a bit, what is this? And took no interest in it. We went to the same university college um, and he'd already left. But I remember a group of my mates would gather in the common room and watch this thing called AFL, like the Brisbane Lions play, whatever. Wasn't never interested in it. Um, And I met him because... Um, I was sports convener and we had to get someone back to present awards and that's how I met him. And then he pursued me endlessly, just <laughs> relentlessly. <laughs> if you weren't in media, what would be your absolute dream job? Dream job? Dream job? Um, job. Uh, oh, travelling. Something to do with travel. Mm. I'd love to do it, yeah. But a travel writer, I don't know. It always looks so glamorous on Getaway, doesn't it? Wouldn't that be great? Mm. Influential book that you've read? Hmm. Oh, that's a really good one. Um, I piggyback on a lot of what my husband reads. So Malcolm Gladwell books, I don't know if you, you know, the, those tipping business thinking and tipping blank. point and everything else. Um, influential book. I don't know. Uh, I've, I read so much different things for work as well. Um, but unfortunately that's probably the one issue that I don't really get to immerse myself in a book necessarily. I'd imagine Richard Fyle, I mean, he immerses mm. himself, but I'm sort of just dipping in and out because, you know, we'll have only a shorter amount of time to get into it. Your favourite album, one with your commercial radio hat on, the other with your ABC hat on. I could tell you what songs I'll never listen to again because of commercial radio. <laughs> um, favourite album for me, Foo Fighters, any day of the week. Maybe even a little bit of ACDC, I don't mind, yeah, my yeah. rock. Um, from a commercial point of view, uh, that forced me to say, oh, I quite like pink, but, you know, there'd be something a little bit like that in there. So, Fair enough. What? Um, oh, County Crows. Sorry, love them too. <laughs> Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pool, also a great album. <laughs> what would be a uh, an obscene purchase that makes no financial sense? Um, what would your dream sort of purchase be? Mm. See, I'm so pragmatic that that is always in my husband's court. So, you know, and what you like, I don't really, it's our money and, you know, when you've got kids. So most things he buys are stupid. <laughs> Like, he will spend money designing T-shirts because him and his mates are going out for a drink at the pub and they'll all rock up in the same shirt. He organised our footy trip. See what I mean? T-shirts. Baker's Dozen. It was Gold Coast. He's got this thing about making hats and embroidering hats and uh, stubby coolers. So I pretty much don't spend, you know, I'm very much that base Target sort of shopper so he can then go and employ his skills into whatever it is. <laughs> the most ridiculous purchase he so there's no, there's no, it's not a it's not a boat it's not a no. car you wouldn't there's no house out there that you no nothing. it would be a holiday it would be, be taking the children to somewhere like africa or around yeah. the world or you know yeah gosh that'd be a great more an experience thing yeah well ali thank you for sharing your um, luxurious studios with Rooster Radio. <laughs> you this think? is this is an absolute. This is like the MCG compared to what we normally deal with. This is amazing. Um, but look for letting us Little turn the table. Spike in the corner, by the way. Yeah, what is, what's that what's there for? I don't know. I, does it even work? Do you want to go and jump on it? Come yeah, on, Rachel. Uh, Rachel, if you're an intern at the ABC, now. I thought it might be the secret to Maybe. powering the studio. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> right. We get the hamsters on there. That's right. Look, we can confirm it does work. So there you go. Do you know what? How ridiculous is this? I've never really. I You could hang your clothes up. Um, yeah. Ali, thanks for letting us turn the tables and, oh. and gain an insight into your journey and the craft of being um, in radio and on breakfast radio. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for thinking that I could 
have anything to say. No, we've loved it. Uh, I normally like talking to the other people and hearing from you. So um, thank you very much, Jess. Cheers. Um, and enjoy. Yeah, enjoy Rooster Radio and um, can't wait to see you well, in that crow suit one time soon, Monty. One time soon. Never happen again. <laughs> and no doubt you'll be going back through to all our previous episodes. I will. I will. Just to find those interviews that you've started when you didn't know the guy's name, nor, <laughs> nor what they the did. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Monty. Appreciate <laughs> what a terrible it. way to finish. <laughs> <laughs> On a high. Thanks for listening to our chat with Ali Clark. We have plenty of interesting interviews in the bank and many more to come. So subscribe to Rooster Radio, and if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. And connect with us at roosterradio.biz. We'd love to hear from you.